You are listening to the Stand with Dignity podcast. Please subscribe to our The doctrine of the Trinity without a doubt is one of the most difficult doctrines to explain and is known as the major difference between Islam and Christianity. Normally, when a person looks at the religions of Islam and the religions of Christianity, you find that we have many things in common with one another, many things which are similar with one another. But you find that the clearest difference that exists between Islam and Christianity is the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, this particular doctrine is of the utmost importance to the majority of Christians, not all. In the world today, you'll find that there are Christians who may not necessarily believe in the Trinity. But on the whole, wherever you go in the Christian world, you'll see that this belief exists in the Christian community. You'll see that certain people will come and tell you that the Trinity is the most fundamental belief in Christianity. At the same time, you find if ever there is a mystery of mysteries, it's the Trinity. There are some Christians who themselves will admit that the Trinity is a mystery. How a person can understand one God in three persons or three persons in one Godhead is not something easy to explain. That's why if you were to go to any Christian bookstore, you'll see a massive section of books on the Trinity. If you go to a Muslim bookstore or a Jewish bookstore, you won't find a massive section of books on God's oneness. Because for us, it's seen as a simple belief, a simple reality, that we recognize that God is the necessary existent, and that God sent prophets to mankind. These prophets act as exemplars for the people. The people seek to live the best of lives, and on the basis of the lives that they've lived, God will either reward them on the day of judgment, or they may have to go through a period of punishment on the day of judgment. But when you go to Christian bookstores, you'll find that in Christian bookstores you'll find very clearly what is there there are many books many sections which are books and sections that discuss the trinity because to some christians at times they'll say that this is what this is a mystery other christians even point to the fact that a person can fall into heretical belief when discussing the trinity that sometimes you'll find that it's a fine line between saying our Lord God and our Lord Jesus. Many Christians will tell you that I'm a monotheist. But their monotheism may be looked at as a modified monotheism. Judaism and Islam's monotheism is pretty clear. Any Muslim you go to <coughs> or any of the Jewish community you go to say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, for example, the Muslim community. There is the belief that there is no God but Allah. Whereas in Christianity, it's a fine line between what? Between heresy and between belief. And therefore, that modified monotheism brings about a lot of skepticism, even within Christianity. Am I praying to God or am I praying to Jesus? Do I say the Lord God or do I say the Lord Jesus? Do I say God the Father and God the Son as a relationship on a level of family, a modality, or do I look at it as a relationship where you have, for example, three gods that are spoken about? If we were to go to the United States today and you sit with a Christian and you ask the Christian, 
that what do you think of Jesus? You will hear some of them will say the Lord Jesus. That doesn't necessarily mean <coughs> that the priests of Christianity believe that he is the Lord. But the common folk of Christianity today, without a doubt, have reached the stage where they look at Jesus as being the Lord. And so on the one hand, you've got a heresy. On the other hand, you have a mystery. What should be the most basic, primordial, fitra belief in the human being has become the most complicated belief because of Christianity. And that's why Christianity until today continues to try and throw metaphors to try and explain Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How many times do you hear metaphors that I want to try and understand how could the Father be the Son? How could the Son be a Spirit? How could the Spirit be all part of one? And that's why you have either modalists, you have Sabellians, you had this debated a couple of centuries after Jesus had left this world, there were still debates in the church. Whether you were in Greece or you were in Jerusalem, you were trying to come together with a creed that could be seen as an official creed for the people. Because the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Imagine if a fundamental belief that you have in religion is not in the holy book. Even sometimes when we have discussions with non-Shia, they always ask us about imama in the Quran. But I can show the word imama in the Quran. <coughs> you may differ with me about the conclusion of how I look at imamat of Ibrahim salam, how I look at, for example, God choosing imams on the earth or God inspiring imams on the earth. But you cannot deny to me that the word imam is there in the Quran. The word Trinity is not in the, in the Bible. And therefore, this fundamental belief, a belief that can be heard of in virtually every second church that you go to. Yes, Latter-day Saints, Pentecostals may differ. But generally, you go to the predominant sect in Christianity, Catholicism, where you have <laughs> nearly as many Catholics in the world as you may have Muslims, because we know that Catholicism enters the billions of people, not millions, billions. Say, for example, just over a billion, you'll see that the Trinity is fundamental. Give me a metaphor. They'll say to you the egg, the shell, and the yolk. Give me a metaphor. They'll say to you, for example, the water, the waves, and the sea. Give me a metaphor. Someone tells me the kettle, the steam, and the water. All of these metaphors, why were they introduced? Because the human mind recognize that when I want to believe in any fundamental theological belief, I want to believe in them through naql and through aql, through text and through the rational intellect. I look in the text, already when I look in the text, I'm trying to somehow play with two things. The recognition that in the Old Testament of the Bible, there is only a belief in one God. The recognition that in the New Testament, I now believe as Jesus is possibly the Son, if not God. How do I reconcile these two? A tradition that has existed for such a long time saying one God, and a tradition that now is saying that I and the Father are one, I need to come up with something that reconciles them. The one who's coming up with the reconciliation is not Christ. The reconciliation either is inferred from the Gospels or is set as official creed by someone like a John or a Paul or, a, for example, group of scholars in Constantinople. But today in Christianity, 
you'll hear wherever you go, even when they make the sign of Christian belief, they'll say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. On the one hand, I'm looking at the rational intellect, and the rational intellect still doesn't explain certain things to me. If God in the Old Testament is seen as being eternal and knowing everything, what if I find that part of the Trinity is a part that doesn't know everything and is not eternal? Can God die or is God eternal? Does God know everything or are there portions of God's knowledge that are limited? These are questions which naturally are discussed. So on the one hand, I've got a dilemma when discussing the Trinity as a Christian because I'm trying to weigh up what's going on with the Old Testament's one God to me saying there's a God in three persons. That's a dilemma. Another dilemma for the Christian is that they will have to admit that this is a major leap of faith. Now, having a leap of faith is not the craziest thing in the world. Let's be frank. Because even I as a Muslim have certain things where I have a major leap of faith on. For example, Yunus being in the belly of the whale. Jonah being in the belly of the whale. As much as I try and put, get my head around it, I don't understand it. But the premise for me is that the Quran is unaltered. The Quran has not been changed. The Quran has not said anything incoherent. The Quran has been revealed to a man who himself was not known to have been taught to anyone. So I work on premises. But otherwise, I have a leap of faith when it comes to certain prophetic stories. But I don't have a leap of faith when it comes to God. Because I see the signs of God in the horizons. And I see the signs of God within myself. So when I see these signs of God, and then I see the people who are telling me about God, and I recognize that there's no way God has limits in knowledge, and there's no way that God can be subject to death, and there's no way that God can be that which is composed of somewhere in particular space or time, because that must mean that he is caused, and that which is caused cannot be part of Godhead, because that which is caused must be created. So all of these are what the Christian mind debates, discusses. Of course, there are times when we've had great discussions with the Christian world. Even early on, the likes of John of Damascus and his discussions with the early Muslims, those were very polite discussions. And we've had terrible times between Islam and Christianity. The reality is discussing the Trinity shouldn't bring bloodshed. The reality is the discussion of the Trinity is a discussion which can be seen, inferred from the Gospels, but said clearly, Within the Quran, within the Quran, God discusses the Trinity. But sadly, if you were to ask many Muslims, where in the Quran does God discuss the Trinity? Unfortunately, the knowledge leaves a lot to be desired. Our lack of a relationship with the Quran. And then on top of that, judgmentalism against people and calling them people of hell or going to hell. First, I have to know the Quran. What's it discussing? Because the Quran looks at the Trinity in a couple of ways. One way, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Another way, Father, God, Mary and Jesus. And now the question arose that the Quran might have made a mistake. Because when we normally discuss the Trinity, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Where did Mary come into the Trinity? One of the major questions is how did Mary get into the Trinity of the Quran in Surah Al-Ma'idah? So you see, as a Muslim, even though I may differ with the Trinity, have I understood what the Quran has said? Maybe the Quran has got it wrong. Someone says, how dare you say the Qur'an's got it wrong? There's no way the Qur'an would have got it right. Therefore, tonight, let's try and discuss the Trinity from as many angles as we can. 
And I'd like to do this in the following stages. Number one, if somebody was living in the time of the Prophet, peace be upon his family, who believed in one God, but that these gods could be put into images, for example, or attributions, can that person still be classed as a monotheist? And how is it that there are religions in the world today who classify themselves as monotheists, but the problem is in their definition of monotheism? Number two, how is the atonement of the original sin fundamental in the belief of the Trinity? When Christians discuss the original sin and the atonement, how does that relate to what's happening with the Trinity? Number three, God decided to come in the flesh to be near his creation. Why is the God of Islam so far away according to Christianity? Whereas the God of Christianity came and gave himself. The God of Islam, they say, is too distant. Number four, in the Bible, does Jesus himself say there is a separation between him and God? Does Jesus make clear that he is not necessarily the son, but rather a messenger? And even if he is a son, is David not a son? Are others not also called sons? Number five, how does the Quran mention clearly about Mary and what could possibly be the opinions of Mary being included in the Trinity in the Quran, which is something hitherto that point some Christians may never have believed in. Number six, how does the Quran warn the people of the book? Do not go into the world of ghulu or extremism in your belief about someone sent by God. And how could Muslims be destroyed by this extremism as well? when it comes to their own people who they revere. Further than that, if God is all-knowing, then could there be a moment in the Bible where he admits that he doesn't know? And if he admits he doesn't know, then that shows whoever is saying that is not God and separate from God. And if God is eternal, can he ever die? And if the one in the Bible dies, how then could you call him? the Lord. And if the one in the Bible is praying, who's he praying to if he's meant to be God as well? Finally, there is a recognition that Jesus did give so much to mankind and that can never be denied. How do people react in religious history when they see someone who gives all to society, but society ends up abusing them? And how do we see that on the 10th of Muharram? Let's examine this and dissect the topic in complete depth. When these verses about the Trinity were being revealed in the time of the Prophet, peace be upon his family, a question arises. In the time of the Prophet, were there people who all believed in one God? Yes, the Meccans who were around him believed in one God. Today, Christians will say that we believe in one God. We're monotheists. Jews are monotheists. Muslims are monotheists. <coughs> the Quraysh as well used to believe in one God. The Quraysh used to respect Nabi Ibrahim salam. The Quraysh used to respect the period of Hajj. They would be doing tawaf around the Kaaba. But the Quran had a problem with their monotheism. The Quran rejected a modified monotheism. What do I mean by a modified monotheism? A person may believe in one God, but if they put images to that God, is that still Tawheed? Or does that fall into a world of shirk? Reality is that if a person puts an image, even though they believe in one God, that falls in a world of shirk. When the Quraysh are described as polytheists, the Quraysh could easily turn around and say, what do you mean I'm a polytheist? I believe there's only one God. But Allah, Uzza, Manat, and the idols means that your monotheism has been modified and polluted. 
The Quraysh, if you were to come to them, they would say to you that we believe in one God, similar to Hinduism. Hinduism today, if you ask any Hindu, there's only one God. Reality is that in original Hinduism, there was only a belief in one God. Now, when I see Hindus having idols everywhere, can that still be called monotheism? Someone says, of course, Sayyidina, because you said monotheism is to believe in one God. But believing in one God, there are certain things that may modify or pollute that definition. One of them is if I, for example, give God a gender. How many times do you hear Muslims saying, he said? God says, he said. Why is God with a gender? God is genderless. God is neither male or female. If today on the member I said, you know what God said? She said. It's perfectly fine. Someone might turn around and say, no, why don't you say he? God is not a man, nor is God a female. Someone might turn around and say, then why does the Quran say, for example, sometimes in masculine terms, the Quran, for example, mentions the sun in feminine terms. Does that mean the sun is a female? No, these are the methods within Arabic of the masculine, the feminine, the way that they develop. But for us as Muslims, can someone put a statue of God? No. Can someone say this statue is not God? It represents an attribute of God. This statue represents part of God, part of God's love. Part of God's mercy, part of God's destiny. Even the Arabs, when they used to ask them, how could you worship these? They said, no, they bring us nearer to God. Look at the line. They bring us nearer to God. Yes, but now you're bowing down before them. You're kneeling before them. You're praying before them. You've now entered from monotheism to polytheism. For you now, Allah, do you know what they used to even do for Allah and Uzzah and Manah? They used to put food next to their idols. Sometimes he would put, for example, Zafaran next to the idol, Saffron. They might put other sacrifices near the idols. If I sat with the Qurayshi at the time and said to him, do you believe in one God? He said, of course. I say, but this highlights your Mushrik. He says, but I thought Tawheed is one God. You put partners to God in anything, in the sense that you bow down before them, or you call upon them to be the ones who help you, then now you're falling in a world of shirk. At that moment, you move from monotheism to polytheism. Therefore, when a Christian comes and tells a Muslim today that you say that I put partners to God, I believe in one God. Yes, you do. But so did the Quraysh. The Quraysh believed in one God. The Hindu community believed in one God. You believe in one God. But now you've started to deify alongside God. Suddenly God may have children. Suddenly God may have partners. And that's why the Quran, when it came in Surah Al-Anbiya, Surah 21, verse 22, what did it say? If there were gods other than Allah, besides Allah, who, what would happen? There would be corruption on the earth. Why would there be corruption? Because you wouldn't be certain which of those two gods is the eternal one and which is the limited one. You wouldn't be certain which one's the knowledgeable of the two. One might be more knowledgeable than the other. You wouldn't be certain which one's made a decision and which one's made the wrong move. You wouldn't be certain who is the one you bow down to on that day of the two. Therefore, when you saw, for example, certain Zoroastrian beliefs went towards a God of good and a God of evil. They started to say more than one God. And there's a problem with more than one God. What is it? When you start saying, and now some Christians will listen to me and they'll say, no, no, we believe one God in three persons. Even if you believe one God in three persons, I ask the Christian community one question. Why not four persons? Why not seven? Why not 26? 
Why not 45? Why stop at three? What made you stop at three? <clears throat> For all I know, it could have been God could have come in the flesh of Krishna one day. How do you know? Who are you to deny? Avatar of Krishna, for example, God could have come down. Why only Jesus? Why is it limited to three? That's why when Muslims revealed the surah, surah al-ikhlas, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ أَحَدْ إِمَامْ أَمِيرَ الْمُؤْمَنِينَ A whole battle in Jamal stopped because of this one verse. Someone came out in the middle of the battle. They said, I need to ask Ali ibn Talib a question. They said to him, Ali ibn Talib, can you just, he's busy. He's in the middle of a battle. He said, I want to ask him a question right now. Is God only one? <clears throat> Imam Amir al muminin turned around, came up to him. They said to Mola in the middle of battle, he goes, the whole reason I'm fighting this battle is to explain this. The whole reason this battle is being fought is to answer this question. In one way, he's making it clear, there's only one of us on this battlefield who can explain this question. But on the other hand, there's a fundamental question here. Qul Allahu ahad. As children, we were taught, say Allah is one. Question, one in number? If it's one in number, there's a problem. Because one in number can be divided, can be multiplied. Of course, Christians love the multiplication. They don't like the addition. In one of the metaphors of the Trinity, a Christian loves one times one times one. Imagine. And I've said it well. Anyway, one times one times one equals one. They knew that the Muslim had replied with Qul Allahu Ahad, say Allah is one. And the Muslim said, as Imam Ali ibn Talib made it clear, if you say Allah is one, not one in number, because the number one can be added, subtracted. So the Christian said, one times one times one equals one. Well, in reality, why have you made it so complicated? Why not stick to the one at the beginning? If the end was going to be one, what was the need for the complication? The reality, therefore, for us as Muslims was it wasn't believing in Allah as one, the number. Rather, it was recognizing the one God who's eternal, omnipresent, omniscient, who will never die, who knows everything, has power over everything. Never will that Lord be in a position of imperfection where his creation asks him a question and he does not answer. Rather, for us, the Quran had replied, by saying, Qul when a Christian therefore comes to me on the first level, says to me, I'm a monotheist. Your monotheism in some cases is not different from the Quraysh Arab. You now as a Christian still say the Lord Jesus, like he would say, Allah, Manat, and Uzza on the day of Badr. They will hold them up. They won't say the Lord. They'll hold up the idols now. So you see there on the first level, the Quran had made it clear that at the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi there were people who had a modified monotheism. That to us resulted in shirk. It resulted in people deifying the creation next to the creator. Putting partners to the creator. Someone asks, okay, why is Christianity so adamant that Jesus is God? God is what? In the human flesh, Christ. Why Christianity is adamant? You ever seen the introduction to the Big Bang Theory? The comedy, the Big Bang Theory. You ever seen the introduction? In the introduction, what happens? Introduction is the story of how everything develops. If I was to tell you the story of how everything 
God created the human. The human uh, committed a sin somewhere in heaven. When the human committed a sin somewhere in heaven, uh, that human being was the cause of all um, sin. Everyone was born a sinner. And because everybody was born a sinner, that means that we are all prone to do good and we're prone to do evil. When we do evil and we want to purify ourselves, what we then start doing is that we start sacrificing bulls. We sacrifice bulls, sometimes we sacrifice goats. After we sacrifice goats and we keep sacrificing, we keep making mistakes, the children of Israel kept on making mistakes and there was too much evil in the world. Because of that evil, God decided to come in the human flesh. He decided to send his only son who will come and be the savior of mankind. His son came and he saved mankind by being the lamb for the whole sacrifice. And because of that, every human being from that day onwards was to be freed and saved. And it was an atonement on God so that he could reconcile with the human being. If an atheist hears this, I won't be surprised if he says, Daddy in heaven seems a bit of an angry guy. Huh? He seems a bit angry and then the plan didn't work. And so he just decided that, okay, I'm going to come down as a human. The whole basis of the Trinity is what? The whole basis is atonement in relation to the original sin. Both of them Islam rejects. Original sin, what is it? Adam, the poor man, is in heaven. Adam commits a sin. He eats, let's say, from the apple tree. If I'm going to put this very general version without going into the reality of the issue. And because he ate from the apple tree, everybody from the sons of Adam was born sinners. And that we were all a mess in our history. And especially Bani Israel, they were the biggest mess, the children of Israel. And they kept on trying to make amends They'd sacrifice in the temple, throw the blood of a, a bull or a goat, and you're really trying to make amends for a crime I'm not even involved in. The biggest thing about the Trinity, it has so many moments of injustice. People who have not committed a sin are called sinners. A son is made to suffer because daddy is not happy. You don't know if dad's the son, or you don't know if the son is dad. Wallah, I say all of this, and forgive me. Forgive me if someone is watching from the Christian community and might say that do not take the mick out of the religion or you're looking at Wallah, I don't mean it in this way. But the reality is the atheist explains it in this way when they look at the Trinity, not me. The atheist says, Dad, toys out of the pram as they say. Wasn't very happy. You know what? You guys are sinners. You're evil. Keep sacrificing. Actually, you know what? We can never reconcile as an atonement. What will happen? I'm going to come down in the human flesh. I don't know if it comes down as God comes in the human. God sends his son in the human because there's a, there's a problem. What's the problem? The problem is the Bible is showing at one minute, he says, I and the father are one. In another moment when he's talking about eternal life in John 17, he's making it clear so that people know the one God and they know the messenger or the prophet that he has sent or that he has sent me, Jesus. His son, I'm not understanding, sent or created created or incarnated now that, please i'm not the only one who's been confused by the trinity people who are christians are confused by the trinity as much as the christian tells you that it's not a mystery it's a mystery and as much as the christian tells you it's logical it's illogical let's be very frank let's come down to the point of a leap of faith god has come down or god has sent or god has come incarnated in if God now has come incarnated in the flesh of a human being, then we have a whole host of problems theologically. A nightmare of problems. Why did God do all this? Why? Why? It's because 
God wanted to be close to his creation. Unlike the Muslim God. This is one of the most famous accusations of Christians. That the Muslim God will never be like the Christian God. Baba, whatever you call him. Yahweh, Allah, Al-Ilah, whatever you want to call him. It's all the same God. But anyway, the Muslim God will never be like the Christian God. Why? The Christian God cares so much about his creation. He came down in the flesh to be near them. Your Muslim God is far from you. He never came down. My Muslim God's far from me. It looks like you haven't opened my holy book. On the one hand in my holy book, he says to me, I'm closer to you than your juggler. What else do I want? Secondly, he is between my heart. Whatever thought comes in, he is the one who hears it. Thirdly, he reminds me that just in case one day someone tells you I'm distant and I needed to come down to you, when my servant asks you about me, tell them that I am near. I answer the supplication of the supplicant when they supplicate towards me. My Lord is closer to me than my juggler. I don't need God to come down in the flesh. Enough for me is that God, rationally speaking, when he asked me to worship him, enough for me is that in his justice, he sent me prophets of God. Old Testament, clear as day. We had one formula, prophets of God. Ya Allah, when shaitan gets involved. One formula, that was prophets of God. Prophets such as Adam, prophets such as Abraham, Noah, Moses, David, they were all going in one direction. And that is what? Worship you, O Israel, the Lord, the one God. In Deuteronomy, it's clear. Worship you, O Israel, the Lord, the one God. Where did it suddenly change? Why? Someone says, but you don't know how bad the sin was at that time. Well, there was sin worse than that time. There was sin worse. Why didn't he come down before then? Why he came down there? What, in Jerusalem? I'm not going to deny Jerusalem wasn't full of sin. Where the Jewish community were at that time, they'll put their hands up and say, corruption, interest, being bullied and bullying. But it's not as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. Was it as bad as Noah? Was it as bad as Abraham? Why didn't Jesus come down then? Or God come down then? That one I'm still trying to figure out. Why didn't one of them come down then? And then you could have saved all of humanity. And on top of that, if you did come down and save all of humanity, there's another central question. You came to die for our sins, so we're all purified. But there's still people, Christians, who are sinning. So I don't get what happened. What happened? Oh, you can go for baptism. So what was the point of you coming down? You could have just said, Ha, the Nabi Yahya, John the Baptist. When I tell you the atheist takes the mick out of this, Wallah, I don't blame them sometimes. God... Man created sin because there was a crime in Toronto in 1971. So I'm the sinner. Me living in London, 2022. There's a crime in Toronto, 71. I was a sperm, not even worth mentioning at that time. In 71 in Toronto, there's a crime. I'm the one born a sinner. Okay, God, born sinner. He's angry. They're angry. They're not purifying themselves. Going to atone. I'm going to send my son. Your son came, but the problem is the sins are still there. Go to John the Baptist, get baptized. Go to your local church, get baptized. And if you can, get some bread and wine. That will also help you. So what was the point of him coming? What was the point? Why did he come? You could have just sent a verse that says, and says, but he had to die. There are many prophets who died before him. There are many who lost their lives, executed by the children of Israel. The Jews killed a lot of the prophets of God. There is no doubt about that. They'll admit that in their own history. Many of them died. What's the difference? But this one is the son of God. If you're looking in the Bible for the word son of God, Ephraim, son of God, David, son of God, 
Israel, son of God. Jesus, son of God. Who else, son of God? Anyone who follows the path of the Spirit is son of God. So all of these are sons? All of them? Because you can't tell me Jesus is the only son of God when Adam's called son, Ephraim's called son, Israel's called son, uh, David is called son. All of these are called son? So you're not telling me why don't you say that they're part of a trinity? Why are they not included in the trinity? For what reason? Ah, because they say that there is a difference. What is the difference? The difference is that Jesus had no father. Adam had no father. He should be called son of God as well. You cannot put Jesus, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purposely made sure Adam had no father. So that anyone who was going to use Jesus as the son of God because he had no father, Adam deserves that place. Therefore, when I look in the Bible, I see Jesus making it clear. Oh, Lord, oh Israel, your Lord is one God. He makes it clear. He doesn't say I am God. Your Lord is one God. He makes it clear as well that I've been sent, sent, not incarnated. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. Such a huge belief, I can't find it in there. It's a major problem. Why do you think some Christians don't believe in the Trinity? Because they're like, we're not just going to infer from people's interpretations. If God wanted to, he could have made the Trinity as one word, that would be it. And that's why you find some who went towards what? Tritheism, Sabellians, modalism, different groups. One said one God in three, others said three gods. There was such a problem with the opinions. So you have him, he says God is one. You have him, he is a son, but there are other sons. We can even be sons if we are guided by the spirit. We can be called the children of God as well. That's another issue. But the biggest of all issues is what? The biggest of all issues is God, would you agree with me, knows everything? I want to ask you all a question and everybody watching at home. One question I want to ask you. Name me one thing that only God knows. Prophets don't even know. What's the one famous thing that only God would know? And that prophets themselves, when they are asked, they say, Wallah, we don't know. Only Allah has knowledge of that thing. What is it? One thing. Qiyamah. Day of judgment. The hour. Only God knows. In the Bible, 1 John 3.20, God makes it clear. He makes it clear. He says that I know what's in everyone's hearts. you got dark hearts, you got soft hearts. I know what's in everyone's hearts. God knows everything, we agree? Jesus is asked about the hour. God came in the human flesh. That means he must know when the hour is. If Jesus says, I do not know when the hour is, there is no way he is related to God in any way except as a messenger. If Jesus gives us the time of Qiyamah, of the day of judgment, then definitely he is God. We agree? 1 John 3.20, what is made clear? That God knows everything, including what's in your hearts. Mark 13.32, problem. What's the problem? The angels of the heavens don't know, nor does the sun know. Only God knows when the hour is. Problem! Ask any Christian in the world. If Jesus is part of one God in three, he must be the one who knows everything. Nothing ever can go past him. The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon his family, ask him about the Day of Judgment, does not know when it is. Ibrahim does not know. Noah does not know. Moses does not know. Dawood does not know. 
If Jesus says, I know, it's game over. What does it say in the Bible? Even I do not know. The son doesn't know when the hour is. Only God knows when the hour is. Therefore, how could you come and say God the Father, God the Son, when you have a distinction in knowledge between Allah the All-Knowledgeable or God the All-Knowledgeable and Jesus like any other prophet of God? The one test for them always, subhanAllah. One test was Qiyamah. Do you have knowledge of the hour? I don't. Nor do the angels of the heavens. Only the Father, only God. Only God in heaven is the only one who knows. Nobody else knows. Therefore, for us as Muslims, that was the clearest proof. Another, can God die? God can die. If God can die, what am I doing worshipping you? You die and I die. What's the difference? And then how do I see one God in three but dying? Again, to die for mankind's sins. But problem is they're still sinning non-stop. What did it save? What did it solve? Therefore, again, I look at it. If I, on the other hand, look at Jesus' mission and say, Jesus left a legacy of how to live and a legacy that you're willing to give everything for God, that's wonderful. That I revere. But the Quran turned around and said, those of you who turn around and say that God is part of a three, لَقَدْ كَفَرَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَأَتْ ثَالِثُ ثَلَاثَ that those who say that God is what? The third of a three, that is kufr, complete disbelief. There is no God, but only one God, that's it. The Quran turned around to them and said that this idea, you're saying God, astaghfirullah, God can reach a level where he cannot answer the question of a human? How? How? A human is asking you about the day of judgment and you're turning around and you're saying, none knows this hour. How? A person straight away begins to question. Someone did, however, reply on this issue. Someone replied by saying, firstly, you as Muslims also, when it comes to your God, you have some of your Muslims who believe that your God has a hand and he has a shin and he has a face and he has a beard. Yes, it's true. In the Muslim belief, there are some people who took verses of the Quran literally. No doubt. But they never put partners to that God. Yes, they started to say that God has body parts. I agree. And they even believe that God is a human who they'll see in heaven. Of course, not a Shi'i belief. But that anthropomorphism does exist. I cannot deny but that wasn't saying that God came in the human flesh as a human who had limitations. That's on the one hand. On the second, some say, but you also believe God has attributes of essence and attributes of action. That means even within your definition of God, it can be split, but not split into that which can be limited into a place. Sifat so that, you know, the attributes of the essence or Sifat al-Fi'l, these are just discussing, understanding the nature of God, that there are certain attributes which are part of his essence, like knowledge. God was always knowledgeable. That's part of his essence. Whereas speech is an attribute of what? Action. God doesn't need to speak, but he spoke to Moses, for example, and so on and so on. So you find that they come back with that reply. Another reply that comes is what? Another reply comes that you in Surah Al-Ma'idah, you mention, yes, لَقَدْ كَفَرَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَاتْ ثَالِثُ ثَلَاثَةَ You mention that. We agree. 
But you also mentioned that on the Day of Judgment, God will ask Jesus, did you tell people to take you and your mom as deities besides me? They said, which Christians ever believed that Mary was part of the Trinity? It's a good point. It's a very strong point. And it's not an easy one to answer. Because either we come to a conclusion, as some came, that there may have been a group, very minor group of Christians who lived in the time of the Prophet who this was addressing. Not the original Christian community who believed Father, Son, Holy Spirit a few hundred years after Jesus passed away or had left this world, but there may have been. The Quran may be addressing them. Or number two, the Quran may be referring, for example, to the fact that the way you're heading this community and the way you ask Mary for help in everything and the way you're asking Jesus for help for everything is that you've now virtually made them partners to God. This is a very important point. They had reached a level where the picture of Mary was in their churches. We in Islam, these pictures of our holy saints are not recommended. They lead you to a world of shirk. Even now, if I go to the grave of one of God's saints, you'll see some people do sujood opposite the grave of one of God's saints. They prostrate. That is a dangerous thing to do. Why? Someone will say, but I'm only doing uh, prostration for reverence of them. No, no, it's not for you to make up what you're only doing. If you're doing sujood towards the grave of somebody revered by God, chosen by God, with that sujood's intention being, I'm thanking Allah for allowing me or for getting me to visit this place, that's okay. You're doing sujood to that person, it's complete shirk. Out. Secondly, if you as a Muslim are asking a human being for help, and that human being you're asking them, independent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's not going to happen. We as Muslims ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one who can answer our du'as. Ya ahl al-kitabi, la taghlu fi deenikum. Oh, people of the book, do not go to ghulat, extreme ghulu in your belief and do not utter a word against Allah except that which is true. Except that which is the truth. I now, as a Shi'i, I come and I say, Ya Allah, I ask you in the name of Imam Ali, no problem. But me going to ask the Imams directly, no, this is a problematic issue. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I mention the names of the Imams. Now I know that there are many in the Shia community, even if they say Ya Ali or Ya Hussein, what they mean is Ya Allah, I want your help by mentioning the Ahlul Bayt. But still, a person has to be careful. Imam Radha one day makes it clear, never ever associate us, the Imams, with rizq. That is only God's remit, not ours. Sometimes someone might come and say, Imam Ali, I need a house. Hazrat Abbas, I need, for example, a child. No, 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 no. That is only Allah's remit. Rizq is Allah's remit. No human being come interfere. You come and hold a dhari'ah and say, Ya Abel Fadl Abbas, please can you give me a house? Please can you give me a wife? Please. That is not to do with Tawheed. Tawheed is I ask Allah always. And I mention the names of some of those who are beloved to who? Beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the Quran said, Ya Ahlul Kitab, La Taghlu Fi Deenikum, do not go into extreme lengths or excessive lengths or transgress the boundaries of your religion. Inna al-Masih, what is he? What is he? Isa ibn Maryam, Rasulullah. 
He is a messenger of Allah, not God, not the son of God, not the Razak who's giving sustenance. Rasulullah wa kalimatuhu. And he is the word of God on earth. Which kalima? Al-Qaha ila Maryam. Which he breathed into Mary. And from the spirit of God. So therefore God continues. So believe in Allah. Believe in his messengers. And never ever reach a level where you say three. What does that mean? Do not say three. Ahl al-Kitab, you have come now to a conclusion. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that is completely rejected because of contradictions on how many levels? On a number of different levels. And that's why if I was the only one who rejected this, no problem. Christians within themselves have rejected this. You go to the Pentecostals, you go to the Latter-day Saints, you go to others. We don't believe in the Trinity. But you're a Christian. No, we don't believe in Trinity. And that's why, maybe that's why, sometimes in our books of fiqh, someone says, how comes then I can go to a Christian and eat at their place? But they're doing shirk. There's a major debate. Some maraja concluded that Christians are polytheists. There are maraja in our history who were putting Christians as who? That you cannot eat from their food if they've touched it with wetness and so on. Such rulings were only changed by the likes. Not only, there are others who had already opinions that differed, but you find the likes of Ayatollah Muhsin al-Hakim and others started a movement and a development, one may argue, at a certain point. Not them, there were others as well. But of the most prominent Ayatollah Muhsin al-Hakim, where yes, Christians are from Ahl al-Kitab, but there's a major question that arises. If I look at Catholics, for example, it's clear. Lord God, Lord Jesus. How can he be Lord when he's praying to someone? A Lord does not pray to anyone. Rather, a Lord is prayed to. But when Jesus makes it clear, a distinction. What's the distinction? Eternal life, Father, and that I've been sent by the Father. Yes? You ask me, what is good? I am not good. Good is only God. How many more distinctions have to be made there? Well, subhanallah, either the influence of Paul or the influence of the creed of Nicaea or other influences led towards that direction. Believe you me, let me make something clear. It's an honor if I ask for the wasila of Prophet Isa salam. Let me make this clear. I am honored to ask Nabi Isa. Firstly, Nabi Isa is alive. There's no issue in me asking from him. He's alive. And at the end of the day, wasila. He's a means. I can ask Nabi Isa direct, or I ask Allah in the name of Isa. Why? Because how much Nabi Isa went through in his life and after he left the people. How many different accusations against him from those who hated him to those who loved him, the extremes that they went for. And that's why I can understand that there are people out there when they see a figure who is the purest of the pure, I can understand them willing to give back everything, including their souls to him. I don't look down at Christianity. All I say is that the mystery or the illogical inconsistencies of the Trinity do not add up. But if you ask me, is Jesus one of the people of God? 100%. Is it right that people want to give their life to him? We as Muslims want to give our life to him. Because for us, anyone who was in that path of Adam and Nuh, and Ibrahim, and Musa, and Isa, and Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, 
all of them, whoever inherits their message, looks after it, we want to give our lives to them. And that's why in Ziyarat Warath, we are Shia, we always come together. And we remember these prophets of God and how we remember that the man who continued their seerah, we would be willing to give everything to him. Assalamu alayka ya waratha Adam. Sabwatillah. Assalamu alayka ya waratha Nuh. Nabiillah. Assalamu alayka ya waratha Ibrahim. Khalilillah. Assalamu alayka ya waratha Musa. Kalimillah. Assalamu alayka ya waratha Isa. Ruhillah. Assalamu alayka ya waratha Muhammad.